Genesis 17 with the first seven verses and then 15 through 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And as I said last week, um, all the Old Testament passages have been paired with New Testament passages, and this one is from Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? So today's story and all of our videos are the only one that include a woman in them. And if you read the scriptures closely, it's Sarah who God actually promises to bless, specifically. God says, I will bless her, and she will give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. But as we saw today, up until this point in the story, none of this has seemed much like a blessing to Sarah. Her husband upends her life to move because God told him to do it which first leads them to a land of famine. Then they finally reach a fertile land, and the Pharaoh is so enamored by Sarah's beauty that he wants her for his own wife. And Abram agrees in order to save his life. Then after being Pharaoh's wife and all that would entail, it's Abram who ends up with all the cattle and the animals and the resources and the servants. Then, as probably anyone would probably do, she grows impatient with this plan of God and literally laughs at the idea of being able to give birth at her age. She orders Abram to conceive with Hagar, who he then makes his second wife. But that still doesn't solve it and only leads to her own anger and frustration and grief and causes her to banish Hagar and Ishmael. At first glance, none, nothing about this looks like a blessing. But that's also what Peter thinks 
in the story later when Jesus starts talking openly about his own suffering. It's not what Peter expected. It certainly wasn't what he wanted in a Messiah. He wanted the Messiah to use the familiar, the old tools of power to change things, you know, like with swords and becoming a king and through armies and even traditional worship the way that Peter was used to, which can be its own kind of weapon. He thought, we just need to overpower the people who have overpowered us, and we just need to use their tools, and then we'll be victorious. There are not many spots in the Bible where you use an exclamation point, but Jesus does when responding to Peter. He shouts at Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, because he so misunderstands what God is trying to do through Jesus. Jesus has to remind him, I'm not here to win. I'm here to save you from the very desires of power and control and your own comfort. And because that's what I'm here to do, it's going to require something radically different than what has come before. And like he does with Sarah, God wants to birth an impossibility. Something only God can do. Only God can make a 99-year-old woman give birth. Only God can transform a cross from a symbol of death and suffering into a symbol of life. And not just life, but eternal life. And Jesus says, if you want to witness this kind of transformation, if you want to witness these things, then we have to remember that there are two sides to the promise. One side is God's blessing and God's faithfulness, and the other end is our promise. Like Sarah and like Peter before us, our promises of faithfulness. Our promise to follow. And it made me think about what's happening right here, right now, in this moment in history that we find ourselves. I feel that there are ways that God is trying to do the impossible here and now. I believe God is trying to help the church, both the big C church and the little church, which has relied on the same rituals and systems and buildings for hundreds of years, and saying this is an opportunity right now to birth something impossible. To birth an entirely new way of being church. One that may not be as dependent on Sunday morning worship in the ways that we always have. Learning about ways to be engaged and not just to attend. But like Sarah, we've been through a lot of struggles and a lot of strife and a lot of loss and a lot of grief this last year, and all we really want is normal. I only have a few people to say amen, but can we get an amen for that? That's what we want, right? But these stories remind me, as much as I want that too, that God wants so much more than that for us. God wants transformation. And every Lent, that's what we ask for. On Ash Wednesday, create in me a clean heart. Make me new, God. Transform me. And maybe this year has not brought many changes to your life. And that, God bless. Maybe it's just been an inconvenience or just a small shifting of things. Thank God. But for 
most of us or many of us, it has been a generation changing, a seismic shift in how we work and teach and learn and worship, how we bank and gather and raise children and care for parents and celebrate and clean and how we grieve. It has also opened a Grand Canyon-sized opportunity to be different, to be transformed by it. I hope that our passages and our forefathers and foremothers would say, please don't let this pass you by. Please don't miss this opportunity. But I also get from their reactions why we, want, why we don't want to, <laughs> why we don't want to grab onto it. Because you see that both Sarah and Peter, this is why we lo I love these people in the Bible, because they have the most human reactions to this, right? First off, Sarah and Abraham both laugh at this idea because it's impossible. It's impossible that God can do this. And then once she's done laughing, she gets impatient and tries to finagle the blessing her own way, right? Getting Hagar involved, which only leads not to blessing, but to anger and ultimately to some abuse of Hagar and Ishmael. But it's the idea that we can't make it happen, but we can have faith that God will make it happen, will transform us, will offer this blessing we couldn't have imagined. It made me think about Every time I've ever tried to make something happen at church, I have a long list of failures that anyone can see. I can encourage, and I can suggest, and I can buy the book or explain the practice, but it's not about me. Sometimes you just have to wait, like Sarah, for the moment, for the opportunity. And the blessing didn't come in the time that Sarah might have chosen. She might have chosen decades earlier for this to have happened, for it to have happened in her homeland, maybe closer to her family. And it certainly wasn't the way she would have imagined it. But God was faithful. And the promise was fulfilled. The blessing was given. A generation was begun. And Sarah was so changed by it, it changed her even unto her name. She was unrecognizable from the person she was before. God made her a mother of nations, of the two religious families of Judaism and Christianity, and even made Hagar the mother of the third, which is Islam, proof that God can even make a blessing when we get impatient. And it reminds me that we are given the opportunity all the time to birth new things in our own lives. In the church, it can be new ministries, new ways of being, new kinds of worship, but we can also birth new ideas of what family can be, just whole new ways of thinking. Chad talks all the time about the new kinds of thinking he's gotten from seminary, how it's opened his eyes, new ways for us to be tolerant, to be open that we can birth a generation of people who go to the church who know that the true purpose of the church has very little to do sometimes with just the building. If there's ever a generation of people that know that, it's us. And that's hard to swallow because we spent a long time paying off this building. We're very close and it's exciting. But we've also learned this year that it's just one of the many, many tools we have to spread the gospel. And we want it to, inhibit, to encourage that, never to inhibit it.
that we don't want it to keep us from going out there where Jesus may be calling us. But like Peter, sometimes we just don't want to believe it. We just want to go back. But like all these stories, God is always calling us forward. God says, into a land I have already prepared for you, one of milk and honey. But in order to do that, there are things you will have to leave behind, like Abraham and Sarah, things that Peter had to leave behind, let go of old ways and pick up this new way to follow me. As he says to Peter, you must lose your life, your old life, but you will trade it to get to witness this new one in Christ that I have for you. I think it's just very hard for us to understand how Peter would have heard the words, pick up your cross, because it's been so transformed for us. All the things that that would have suggested he had to let go of, the old ways where disciples were honored along with their rabbis, where rabbis got special treatment and his students would benefit as well, where he would heal and teach and be seen in certain ways in the community. He thought he'd be able to follow Jesus all the way to the temple and into the government and watch him topple it in the old ways. But Jesus says, as he does and will continue to all through Lent to us, I'm going to do this in a radically, entirely different way. And he says to Peter, I hope you will follow. So the good news is we know how the story ends. We know what choice Peter makes that he does follow despite it being drastically different than what he had expected and just like Sarah it changes his even unto his name and his whole life and then he becomes the legacy of generation after generation after generation that is who Jesus builds his church upon these choices that Peter makes to pick up his cross and to follow and that legacy has blessed the whole world On our journey to Jerusalem again, promise, God promises to be faithful. God promises us a blessing, but also understands the sacrifice that goes along with that. Jesus asks us what he asks us every year and what he asks Peter, what are you willing to lose in your life in order to gain all that there is to gain in the abundant life we can know with Christ.